today is Mother's Day. I know that you know that. And I know that because of the diversity that exists within our church on a weekly basis, no matter what the topic is, that people are coming to the table from all over the place. And so I want to recognize that in this moment. I know there are so many thoughts and emotions associated with Mother's Day. And so I want to, rather than just, you know, some churches are like, hey, make it all about the moms. Others are like, don't say a word because it's so painful for so many people. But I want to try to guide us and lead us into how to live in the tension of a variety of experiences, a variety of thoughts, and a variety of emotions. And so today in this room, ladies, I know that some of you uh, have a lot of pain in your heart on a day like today because for whatever reason you haven't been, a- been able to have children yet, or maybe it seems like you won't be able to, to, to have kids, and, and our heart goes out to you. I, I know there are some in the room whom this is your very first Mother's Day as a mom, and you're filled with joy, and uh, your husband's made promises that you're not sure he's going to keep today and taking care of the kids, but you're filled with joy, and we're thrilled for you. I know that some of you are here today, and today is the first Mother's Day since you lost your mom uh, to who knows what. And so there's a lot of pain there. And in this room, I just want to recognize and say, hey, we care about each of you and your situation. Some of us, not only is this room filled with varying thoughts and emotions, but even within some of our individual selves, we're filled with this. That's kind of my story. The, um, my mom passed away in November of 2002. So May of 2003, it was a couple of things that were going on and have been true ever since that day. Uh, in May of 2003, it was my very first Mother's Day without my mom, and it was the very first Mother's Day that Shauna was pregnant. And ever since that moment, it's been the case every year that there's a sense of joy because I do think my kids, they, are just, uh, they, they struck gold when they uh, got Shauna as a mom, um, and, and I still live with the deep sadness that my mom has never met my kids and that she left this earth way too young. And so I can imagine um, some of you had moms who weren't for you what they should have been for you for perhaps a variety of reasons. And so I want you to know, especially ladies of Epic Church, girls of Epic Church too, that you are valued here. You are loved here. Um, We would have to shut our doors if you weren't a part of this community. Uh, That's why the single guys come. And uh, us married guys, we just couldn't do it ourselves. And so we we know that. And so um, if you're a girl, lady, woman of any age, would you stand so us guys can appreciate you? Like, yeah, any, any of the ladies in the house, all of you. Yeah. Thanks, ladies. That was an all play, by the way. You're like, I'm not a mom. I just said ladies. I just want, we want to, we want to value women here. And today we are uh, wrapping up our Work Matters series. And this series has been really significant for so many people, not only here in San Francisco, but heard from people around the world that are tracking with this series. And so I'm glad it's been helpful. In fact, it's been so significant that I've uh, at least made a note in my Evernote app to to, to make sure we say something about faith and work on an annual basis in a teaching series. And and so I hope that will be helpful. A few of the big ideas we've covered over the life of this series are are as follows. Week one, we said that why I work is greater than what work I do. Now, week two, we said that we can work to make a name for ourselves or we can work out of the name that God has bestowed upon us. And then last week, we said we want work to be a meaningful part of our lives, but it cannot be the full or ultimate meaning to our lives. And today, what I want to do, wrapping up the series, uh, and, and today, the reason you have a handout is because I, I realize this should have been longer than a four-week series. So I just want to unload everything else I want to tell you. Is that Okay. 
Like everything else I could think of relative to faith and work. So you have a handout. Mary Kill, you're welcome. For those of you who enjoy handouts, um, you know, no, this won't be an every week occurrence. I'm sorry. Uh, For those of you who don't want to write down any of this, it's your own mistake. Um, I think this will be helpful. And let me, let me, let me be so bold to say is that what I want to hand you today is a framework that you can take with you through the entirety of the rest of your working days on earth. You're like, Ben, that's quite a bold statement. It is not an exhaustive front and back worksheet, but this is a guide no matter what you find yourselves doing. And remember, if you weren't here throughout the series, we're not simply defining work as what you do to get paid. Uh, every person in this room does some kind of work. You use some sort of strength, one of your faculties to bring about something in the world. So you're retired, but you're doing something. You're a volunteer, but you're doing something. And so to have this framework, I want to make sure that everyone has a sheet of paper and a pen. If you need one or the other, just raise your hand and our team will get one or the other to you. If you need a paper or a pen, keep your hands up and then just communicate what you need. And uh, if we end up going too fast, that's why you have the handout, okay? Uh, I just know what it's like to be in a setting like this and to have the 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 keynote speaker not fill in all of the blanks and you feel like life isn't meaningful that day and so I want to I want to give you all the meaning I possibly can uh, but we're going to run okay and then uh, I'll, I'll I'll take uh, coffee meetings or or correspondence over email if, if something's confusing the the title of this talk beginning with it right off the bat here is maximum return how to make sure you God and the world get the most out of your work on earth. Maximum return, how to make sure you, God, and the world get the most out of your work on earth. And again, you're a student, that's how I want you to think about your work. You're a stay-at-home mom or dad, I want you to think about your work. You're an educator, you're in management, you're in tech. It doesn't matter, whatever it is, the work that you do here as a volunteer at our church or other organizations. Like, remember, work is really broad in terms of how we're defining it. So maximum return, how you can, how God can, and how the world can get the most of your work here on earth. Um, I'm not much of an outline guy, but because you're going to have this and I can't go off script today like I usually enjoy doing, um, I've got four big ideas for today. The first big idea is this. Give yourself to the work God has assigned to you. Give yourself to the work God has assigned to you. Make your life's work about figuring out what God has for you and then giving it all you can to pursue that. I've got a couple of mission statements around this idea, one from Jesus and then from Paul. In John 17, Jesus is at the end of his earthly ministry and life and mission, and he's praying what is known as the high priestly prayer in John 17. And one of the lines of that prayer, as he's getting to the end of his life and mission, he says back to the Father, I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. I was clued in and um, really engaged in what you had for me, and I gave myself to that. I gave myself to that. And Jesus gave himself for the 33 years or so he lived on earth. He gave himself. Everybody okay? Everybody okay? All right. Is it bad teaching? What's going on? We just got started. I brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. So that's Jesus's version of this idea of being all about the work the father had assigned to him. 
Paul, who started 20 plus churches, uh, which is a big deal. If you've ever started one, you know 20 is like, that's impossible. But he did with God's help. And he writes about half of the New Testament. And then here's his version of the same big idea. Paul is being warned by someone like, hey, if you walk down that path, you might lose your life. Here's what he says. You need to know what my life is about. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He's like, this is my aim. This is my focus. This is my goal. It is to finish the race and complete the task that was given to me. He and Jesus are using a different verbiage to say the exact same thing. And if you're in the room today and you're like, Ben, that's great. I mean, Jesus is Jesus. Paul is Paul. What about me? The God that breathed that vision into their lives and handed them an assignment is the God who's breathing vision into your life and handing you an assignment and handing me an assignment. This is what God does. How to discover God's assignment for your work. Maybe two big ideas for how to discover God's assignment for your work. Two things you need to increase. One, increase your God awareness. Increase your awareness of who God is, what he wants done in the world, how he operates, what he's done throughout history. And the best way to do that is that to know the scriptures give us so much information about God's general will for our lives. If you've been like me, there are times I will just be anxious and try to think and hear God say specific things for an hour. And that's okay. But I leave the scriptures just sitting on my desk or my table and going, God, I don't know anything you want me to do. It's like, no, Ben, I've given all of you guys so many things in common with my general will. Now, I'm not going to tell you to move to New York or San Francisco. Uh, I'm not going to tell you exactly who to marry, um, but I'm going to tell you about how you need to operate within the world that I created. And so we get to know God in that way. Secondly, the spiritual disciplines, things like scripture, prayer, silence, solitude, and fasting, they tune our hearts and minds to hear the voice of God. And some of you have a very structured approach to this. For me, I have a structured approach, but there are things that happen in my life or in my family's life or in our church's life that calls me to do one of these or more of them uh, in a specified season. And so last fall, Shauna and I were trying to get clear about something, whether or not God wanted us to do it. And so we had never done this before, um, but we just said for 40 days, we're going to spend the first 15 minutes together, but in total silence, trying to hear God's voice over this matter. It was a new thing for us. We haven't actually done it since. We talked the other day, like, I don't know why she thinks silence is a good idea when I'm around, but uh, we're, we're trying to get back into that. But just what are those things that will tune your heart and tune your mind to be able to hear the voice of God? The second thing to increase is your self-awareness. Increase your self-awareness. One of the two greatest gifts you can give to yourself and, and to the world is to get to know God better and get to know yourself better. The self that God created um, for his glory and for his purposes. Um, how has God wired you? What passions has he given you? What are your spiritual gifts? I know that's a long link, uh, but if you just Google shape assessment spiritual gifts, that link will come up. You can, uh, what, the reason we include that link is because they have the entire spiritual gifts test assessment. You can take it and then be able to give yourself feedback. They've got all the resources there. And if you haven't done that ever or in a while, let me just commend that to you. And so we're constantly wanting to increase our God awareness. Who is he? How has he worked in history? How's he worked in my life? And then who am I? What has he given me? What has he made me to be? Frederick Buechner, I love this quote from his book, Wishful Thinking, A Seeker's ABCs. He says, the place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. If you want to find a beautiful intersection, 
Find out what you love to do and feel like, oh, God made me to do this, and yet be able to see the way in which it impacts the world around us. Some of you, some of us have jobs where we can see more impact than others. But have you ever been in a situation and something, like you're part of something, and you walk out of that moment going, this is what I was made to do? Anybody? Have you ever been in that moment? I mean, we've, we've had a lot of moments where like, God, you made somebody else for this, but... Some good moments where you walk away and go, I come alive when I do this. I feel God's pleasure when I do this. I do this, and it's not even because of the results, though there should be some results, like some good should come from it. But just in that moment, you're going like, this is what God made me to do. And I can tell the way in which it's actually impacting real human beings. And when that happens, that's a beautiful spot. It's a beautiful, sweet spot in terms of going, God, I'm fully alive here with what you gave me to do. And it's actually making a difference in someone's world. Sometimes we think too big picture, like, oh, no one in the, around the globe, everyone around the globe is never going to know about this. God hasn't called each of us, probably any of us to do something that everyone around the globe knows us because of. He might have called you uh, to, to raise a child in a certain way. And that's one of your massive gifts. He may uh, have called you to do some volunteer. He may have called you just to lead a team or whatever the case may be, but get to know God and get to know yourself. Find out where is the need of the world and where does my deep joy intersect that need. Two secrets. This has been over my own life, a lifetime of trying to discern how to live this out. So here's two secrets to maximizing God's assignment for your work on this earth. Number one, be content with what God has for you and what he doesn't have for you. Be content with what God has for you and what he doesn't have for you. We can spend our entire lives dissatisfied with who God made us to be and what he called us to do and always wishing we had someone else's calling and someone else's giftings. And if you get fixated on what God has given someone else, a couple of things you need to know. Number one, you have a posture of ungratitude before God or you're lacking gratitude or maybe three things. Number two, just because you are fixated on what that person's gifts are, doesn't mean you get those gifts. And if you're fixated on their thing, you miss out on your thing. Be content with what God's given you and with what he hasn't given to you. Secondly, though, keep these two points in tension. Keep learning all you can about God, about yourself, about the gifts and passions God has given to you. Never stop learning. And so the big idea here is to go, God, what have you given me? And then how do I deepen or go deeper in the things that you've given to me? Let me give you an example of my own life. People think, because I try to make a stab at humor every now and then, that when I say I have two gifts, they think I'm joking. Just like now. Or like, or some of you are laughing like, no, Ben, you have one. Um, two gifts, teaching and leadership. Like, I really think period. You're like, no, Ben, but you, no, that's it. That's it. But I want to go as deep and maximize those two gifts I have been given. And so God has brought me to this place where I'm content over what I have and what I don't have. When I look around this room and see the gifts present, it's easy for me to go, I wish I could do what Dan does. I wish I could do architecture like Anna does. I wish I could coach startups like Alan does. I wish I could go to Hawaii with my job like Jack just did. <laughs> These are all real stories. No, they're not in the notes. Just looking at faces going, mm, yeah. So I could be jealous of all of the gifts that you guys have. Or I can go, God... Here's what you've given me. I want to deepen my understanding of these gifts. I want to pursue greater passions. I want to increase my competency. And so that's what I set out to do. I want to be the very best teacher and the very best leader I can possibly be. And I want to be content with what I have and what I don't have. 
And then I want to ask God to bring people around me with gifts I don't possess so that we can accomplish more together than I could ever accomplish by myself. Does that make sense? So I'm content, but I'm maximizing. I'm, I'm pleased and I'm okay with what God's given me, but I'm maximizing what he has given to me. Big idea number two, bring your best to your work for the glory of God. Bring your best to your work for the glory of God. Uh, I know you guys get tired of me quoting mere Christianity, but just if you'll read it, I'll stop quoting it. Okay, no, I won't. (laughs) Lewis says, if somebody else made me, and they did, he did, for his own purposes, then I shall have a lot of duties which I should not have if I simply belong to myself. If you've been created by someone else for particular reasons, then there should be things on your plate with the assignment God has for you that won't be simply for your own glory, but for the glory of the one that you belong to. Paul, when he's writing to the church at Colossae in Colossians 3, 23 and 24, there's so much here. You know, sometimes we read something in the Bible and we think, oh, that's such, such great spiritual insight. And it is, but there's such a practical, here's how to live all throughout the scriptures. Next week, we start a series in Proverbs called Wise Up. And you will be amazed at just the practicality the scripture's giving us about how to live our lives. Paul says this, whatever you do. There's a few times where Paul uses that phrase, whatever you do. He uses it in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, where he says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And he's telling the Colossians and therefore telling us here, whatever you do, whatever you consider your work, you're raising kids, you're an educator, you're in middle management, you lead a nonprofit, you're at the bank, you're a barista, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Bring your best. Bring your best as though you are working for the Lord. It changes our perspective when we think we're working for God rather than working for the woman or the man. It changes our perspective when we're thinking we're working for for God's kingdom and not the kingdom of this particular business or this kind of industry that we find ourselves in. He says, work as though you're working for Christ himself because you know he's the one who's ultimately going to give you your reward. There's something more at stake than your paycheck. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. How do you do your work? I hope with excellence. Something that I tell our team here at Epic all the time is that, you know how in some companies and organizations, the one or two people who really do great work stand out? Anybody ever been there? I tell them in our organization, I want the one who doesn't do great work to stand out. We don't want to make excellence an idol, but we do have excellence as a value. God has entrusted us with roles, with gifts, with strengths, with opportunities. And we want, to, we want to maximize those things for his glory. Keller says at the bottom of the page, If God's purpose for your job is that you serve the human community, then the way to serve God best is to do the job as well as it can be done. There should be distinctives around your work that the common person in your industry or company doesn't possess. There should be distinctives around your work that the common person in your industry or in your company probably doesn't possess. If you turn the page over, Dorothy Sayers around 1940 gave a talk called Creed or Chaos. It became a book, and she writes about a variety of things in there, and work is one of the things that she writes about. And I love what she says in this quote because sometimes we think that, oh, if I live my life for God, then I'm doing Bible study and prayer time 24-7. Listen to what she says. The church's approach to an intelligent carpenter is usually, usually confined to exhorting him to not be drunk. That's probably good. And not be disorderly in his leisure hours and to come to church on Sundays. Not bad things, but I love this next sentence. What the church should be telling him is this, that the very first demand that his religion makes upon him is that he should make good tables. 
I love that. Do your job and do it the best you can do it. That might be the number one way you bring glory to God. But you're like, Ben, I haven't even told anybody about my faith in that instance. We'll get to that in a moment. But like, do the job the best you can. And if you don't do the job the best it can be done, maybe you shouldn't let people know you're a follower of Jesus. Who remembers, if you, if you grew up in the church world at all, I'll, I'll just say something about this for a little bit, or even if you didn't, you might relate to this. Who remembers that day and time where um, artistic work was really uh, terrible, but the caveat was, but it's okay, it's got Christian lyrics. Anybody? Like, shoot me. Just really? Do you, do you remember this? Like, hey, that, that, that's not great art, but they're Christian. Dude, I don't care. I'm looking for great art. Oh, that's music. But Ben, the music is terrible. They're not in the right key. But the lyrics, like that's the worst idea ever. Anyway, all right. <laughs> Thanks for the therapy moment. I just needed to unwind a little. But I, I'm just like, you, they should say that's great work because they're a Christian. That's amazing art. They gave everything they had into that piece, that song, that film, that deal at the office. They gave everything they had because of their faith. They're, 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 mm. As you do have an opportunity, <laughs> as you do have an opportunity, uh, you, you should be willing for it to be known that your faith in Jesus is a really big deal in your life, but not so much in a megaphone kind of way. Look what Peter gives you. Such practical advice. One of the most frequent questions and conversations I engage in with people in their workplace is, uh, what about my faith? Like, I can't do that here. I don't know what I can do here. How should I do that here? Listen to what Peter says, because here, let me tell you how, how most of us want to play it. Most of us in our lives, we want to play whatever the category is. We want to play one extreme or the other. Some of us are so deathly afraid to live in tension, and we need to welcome tension at times in our lives. Agreed? We're like, no, Ben, I'm either all this or all that. So when it comes to this idea of sharing my faith publicly with my words, with my mouth, one of two ideas. Some of you want to do it at all times in a megaphone on Market Street kind of way and just make sure everyone knows, right? Everyone knows that you're a Christian and they, they know you're not nice, but they know you're a Christian, right? They know you don't really care for them except for their eternal soul, but they know you're a Christian. And others of you are like, I would never say a word, Ben. Like, Ben, I don't even take my Epic Church pen to the office. I don't either. I'm more of a G2 guy myself, black or blue. That's just me. And some of you are like, Ben, I, don't, I can't believe you use pen and paper. Check the research. Go, if you wanted to know like, how memory works, just go read the pen and paper research. Anyway. But you want to live in that, that, like you want to be on one end of that. Some of you are obnoxious with it, and some of you are silent. Why can't you be in the middle? Peter gives you a great word of wisdom. Read it. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. So before it comes out of your mouth, you have to decide, is Jesus really the boss of your life? Is he the Lord? Is he the one you're orienting your entire life around? So, so it starts in the heart before it comes out of the mouth. And then there's a preparation piece. Always be prepared. How often? Always. To give an answer to who? And we all have the same sheet, right? To everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. This is so good. It's so practical. It's something you and I should live in the tension of. So Christ is Lord in my heart. I'm prepared to articulate the reason for my hope when somebody out there says to me, why do you do this? 
I do this because Christ has made a difference in my life. I do this because God made me and his way is best. I do this because I want my kids to know, whatever. But do this with gentleness and respect. Some of you just want to get the word out, but you're not gentle or respectful. Others of you are terrified and you need to open your mouth. Some of us just are never prepared. We get questions. We're like, I don't know. I just go to church. Be ready to articulate the reason for the hope that you have. Moving along. As followers of Jesus, we don't ask this question in our work. Is it legal? Instead, we ask this question. Can I do it with integrity? We're not asking, is there a loophole legally? Can I do it with integrity? And then this is one of my favorite lines in the whole thing, in case you're wondering. Every speaker has a favorite line. The bottom line can never be our top priority. The bottom line can never be our top priority. Bottom lines matter. They matter in your personal finances. They matter at your work. They matter here for us at Epic Church. Just because we're a church, they're like, oh, Ben, you guys are overdrawn. Who cares? You're a church. No. Bottom line matters. It just doesn't matter most. Do not, do not, do not sacrifice your character for a dollar or for a thousand dollars or for a million dollars or for a billion dollars. Before I moved to San Francisco, that illustration ended at a million, just so you know. Like, but Ben, what about? Like, that's not hypothetical here. That's real. Do not sacrifice your character for anything. Big idea number three. Bless and serve the people you interact with through your work. There was a day in which Jesus' disciples were so thrilled that they were going to have a prestigious position inside the kingdom of of the Messiah. And they had this worldly understanding about how leadership and power and authority and privilege work. And Jesus needed to set them straight. So he said this. Jesus called his disciples together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, or did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's something in there that you need to take out of this passage and think about it with regard to your own work. Do you see where Jesus says, here's the way dominant culture works? Not so with you. Do it this way. There's a pattern there that no matter what your job is, you need to figure out what is the not so with you. So you're in uh, investment banking. And so you need to look at this and say, what would Jesus say about that? Jesus would say, hey, Ben, or whoever, whatever your name is, hey, you know that most investment bankers operate like this, whatever that is. Not so with you. Instead, do it this way. Does that make sense? Most third grade teachers, if that's your thing, most third grade teachers just do whatever the minimum is or whatever the case may be. Uh, and, then, and then God wants to say to you, not so with you. You're going to pour your life into these kids. Whatever that is, whatever that is, you need to figure out where is the not so with you that Jesus wants to speak into you relative to your industry and your assignment in this season. Make sense? Said enough? Not so with you. Where does that exist? Are you there to serve others or be served by others? But Ben, my position is, it doesn't matter what your position is. You're the intern, you're the CEO, or anywhere in between. Are you there to be served or to serve? Keller says next, how with my existing abilities and opportunities can I be of greatest service to other people, knowing what I do of God's will and of human need? How do I use what I've been given? Knowing what God wants done in the world, knowing where the needs that exist are in the world, how can I use what I've been given to make a, a, dif- a difference, a need, meet a need? Here's 
here are four questions to ponder about work. Number one, how is my company or organization better because of my work? Number two, how is my family better because of my work? You're like, slow down. We can't write that fast. How is my church better because of my work? The work I do for a living and the work I do in and through the church. How is the world better because of my work? And be willing to be creative here. God hasn't called all of us to be pastors, and he's not called all of us to be missionaries. He's not called all of us to work for nonprofits. So be creative here, because this question comes to our staff team so much. Like, hey, I'm a software engineer. How does that work? Well, we could introduce you to software engineers that tell you how, how that's worked for them. Hey, I do this. How does that? Like, we, we can help you with that. Big idea number four, leverage your resources in a way that honors God and advances his mission in the world. Leverage your resources, the fruit of your work, in a way that honors God and advances his mission in the world. One of Epic Church's core values is this. We leverage what is temporary for the sake of what is eternal. We leverage what is temporary for the sake of what is eternal. There's so much fruit that comes through our work, but the obvious one, of course, is that we receive a... Right. Uh, most of us, or three of us at least, receive a paycheck every time we put in a certain amount of time and energy. Is that uncommon here? No, Ben, I just get 10,000 more shares. Uh, <laughs> depends on the size of the deal. Or my favorite is my wealthy friends, like, we just get paid once a year. Hey, give me eight figures once a year, man. I'm doing well, too. All right. The best way to leverage our financial resources, the first one is predetermined proportional giving. Predetermined proportional giving. If you want to be a generous person, no matter how you end up defining that, know that generosity is always a front-end decision and then a back-end reality. It's not a back-end decision. And so in the scriptures, what you see, no matter which sort of interpretation you want to go with, that there's always a proportional thing, a percentage-based uh, reality to it. And so if you look at the tithe, right, 10%. If you look at first fruits of the agricultural, uh, the agricultural society where, where first fruits was, we don't know what our harvest is going to be, but we're deciding on the front end that the first of our harvest is going to be given away. If you look at the New Testament uh, uh, imperatives on giving, it says, give according to your means. So every time you see generosity in the scriptures, it, it, is, a, it is a proportional, predetermined, percentage-based giving. And so that, that's an understanding. And if you're like, Ben, how do I, what about spontaneous things that come up? Well, what Shauna and I want to do, just as a, if this is helpful at all, we want to plan for spontaneity. Does that make sense? So we want to have something set aside. And for us, we do 10% to our local church. And then we have a percentage every year that we set aside for whatever might come up. There's kids that need help. There's a crisis in the world. So we can give to, uh, uh, you know, to Syrian refugees this past year. We help other people start churches. We give to people's adoption funds. And, but, but, so those are the spontaneous things. But it's hard to be spontaneous if you don't have any plan for how much is going to be set aside. So that, that's helpful for us. The second one here is to invest in opportunities that can bring about maximum return on your investment. Um, don't just blindly give to organizations and things. Find out the places and the people who are making the greatest impact for God's kingdom in, in churches and cities around the world uh, relative to anti-trafficking organizations or uh, taking care of kids in poverty and, and hunger areas, whatever the case may be. But be strategic. I would think it would be really foolish for us to be strategic with what we do with our personal finances for everything else except for our charitable gifts. Be strategic. Next, for some, your time may be the greatest resource you possess. Your time may be the greatest resource that you possess. 
Those of you who retire, those of you who are independently wealthy, those of you who can't work for some reason, those of you who choose not to work because of your spouse's level of income, your time might be the best gift you have to give to the world than, than, than actually the dollars that come through working for a paycheck. Let me give you three examples of people in our church community, and I will spare uh, their names. Uh, we have uh, someone in our community, they are retired, but they invest their time leading multiple small groups at our church, and they do most of the premarital counseling that happens in our church. They're not going, hey, where's a golf course seven days a week? No, like, where can I make a difference? Love that. We have someone in our church who doesn't have to work because of their spouse's level of income, and they are like the champion for one of our local partners. They invest hours and hours and hours. Most of us can't do that. They can, but just because they can, most people don't, but this person does, and it's incredible what they're doing and how they're extending our partnership and making a difference in probably hundreds of lives in San Francisco. And then I think about someone who, uh, for visa uh, situation, cannot work for a paycheck and so puts in 20-plus hours a week at our church. Uh, to make a grand difference as if it were their job. And so um, just redefine how you think about work. Uh, Let me give you these last three on the page for those of you who have to have that to feel good about your day. Just a few remembrances from this series. Why I work is greater than what work I do. Why I work is greater than what work I do. I don't have to make a name for myself through my achievements and accomplishments. I can work out of the identity God has already given to me. This is such a huge one. Some of you are just still on it to make a name. And what I want to encourage you is to receive the name God has given you, son or daughter, like we sang about. Work from that identity. Don't think you have to work for a name. And the last one, while I want the work I do to be meaningful, it can never provide the ultimate meaning to my life. I hope that when you wake up, you're excited to pursue the assignment God's given to you. But even though God has given the assignment to you, he doesn't want the assignment, even the one he's given to you, to be what's ultimate in your life. You were created by God and you were created for God. Now, where we started today was in John 17, 4, where Jesus said to the Father, I finished the work you gave me to do. I brought you glory by finishing the work you gave me to do. And we get to live in and be a part of the fruit that comes from the work Jesus finished. Does that make sense? So what Jesus was referring to, even though he hadn't gone to the cross yet, he was referring to it as though it was an already done occasion or occurrence. And so he knew he was going to the cross so that we could live in the freedom and in the love and in the mercy and in the forgiveness of what his work accomplished for us. So two things I want to say as we close the series down. One is this. Uh, no, I want to say more than that. But, but one is this. Have you received the fruit of Christ's work on your behalf? Or in your life, is his work been done in vain? Has his work been done in vain? Number two, where do you need to realign your view of faith and work, your practice of faith and work, what's central in your life and what isn't central? What needs to change or shift? And I just want to repeat one thing from last week. Are you asking your work to do for you what no work can actually do for you. Work will never be enough to deliver you, to bring salvation, to bring long-lasting satisfaction. But when Christ is at the center and work is meaningful and we leverage our work and the fruit of our work to maximize our impact in the world, then we're on to something. Let's pursue that in Jesus' name. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the work that you have done to make us sons and daughters. And I pray for every person in this room 
who has never been a recipient of that to receive that today. And God, you know this idea of work takes up so much of our life, and yet if we pursue it in the wrong way or for the wrong reason, then those are hours and hours and hours that we're wasting or that will prove fruitless in the end. God, give us a passion for you, and then give us a passion for the assignment you've given to us. Help us to have clarity on what you have for us, and help us to get to know you better, ourselves better, the gifts and passions you've given to us. God, I pray because of what we are learning in this series and as we move forward, that there would be a maximum return for us in our work. And then, God, that there would be a maximum return for the, sake, for the, for the world's sake through our work in some way. And then, God, for you, we want to receive our assignment from you and do it the best we can do it so that you are glorified and people know that there is a distinctive that comes about from my work, from our work, because Christ is central in my life. Help us to live that out in Jesus' name.